Hello, welcome back, episode 50. We made it to 50 people. Episode 50. Wowzers. I'm very proud of myself. Why not pat myself on the back? Hello, gang. Welcome back. Hope everyone's well. Apologies. Um, I was uh, slightly, I am slightly behind because um, I did have a guest booked who unfortunately had to pull out at the last minute. So I was uh, slightly stuck. However, on to a more positive note, we are now having the pleasure this week of chatting with Mama G, otherwise an actor known as Robert Pierce, who I've known for many years. Um, and is very much a self-starter and uh, a general all-round great chap. So it's a great and fun conversation we have this week, so uh, enjoy. Um, A little bit of housekeeping. Just to say, if you are enjoying, um, and hopefully you are because you've come back for episode 50, um, I'd like you to do just a little favour for me. Um, Even if you don't get the chance to write... Uh, full-on review on uh, iTunes um, uh, or on Apple Podcasts. Um, could you just go? You can do it on your phone if you are if you're listening via um, Apple. It's very easy. Just to go to the bottom of the uh, episode page, and you can rate. And all you have to do is just press five stars. <laughs> if you could do that for me, um, really, it's for the purpose um, of spreading the word. And as I say, um, I am trying to expand in the new year and grow this baby into something bigger. So please, please, please jump in and and, and rate, even if you don't write a lot. You can write a review if you do have the time. That would be great. But if not, just getting a few more of you rating. Um, and if you're all listening via other apps and places and websites and things, then please rate and review on those too. Anyway, that's the housekeeping for now. Um, further details, as I keep promising, further details on uh, on on the uh, Patreon side of things to come up in future. But anyway, uh, moving on to this week's episode, episode 50. So brilliant, we got to 50. Um, and ironic, well, not really ironic, but... Um, Guess my age, even though it's the 40. We've been through this. Anyway, here we are at 50. Um, so this week, a few recommendations. Um, I would say, as it's Halloween, as we're on Halloween, um, I can recommend um, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. That's my Netflix. Um, it's brilliant. Um, the, the Without giving any spoilers... It's a softer ending than I was expecting. That's all I'll say. But uh, up till episode six, episode six in particular, is a mastercraft in mastercraft is it's masterly crafted and is a masterclass in television. I would say so. Even you could just go and watch episode six on its own. Um, it has continuous segments where there is no cut for scenes that run for 20 minutes, which in TV land is massive. So um, I can recommend that. Pretty scary, even quite an emotional story. Um, it's cleverly played out and there are some great actors in it. But I would give that a four and three quarters star. Um, but it's definitely for something to watch if you're looking for a box set for Halloween. That's one to ju- to jump in and have a look at. Um, 
The uh, music recommendation this week is from Naina Cherry. Now, I have recommended, I believe I've recommended a single that came out earlier this year, but her album, Broken Politics, is uh, is just brilliant. Um, it's been out uh, a few weeks now, two or three weeks, um, and I can only say that you don't have to have been a fan before. Um her voice is super strong, super mellow, um, and very much in the, this album's very much in the land of Massive Attack. So if you are a fan of that kind of, it would have once have been called Trip Hop. It has that flavour to it. And apparently the first Massive Attack album was recorded in Nana Cherry's bedroom. Anyway, this album, Nana Cherry, Broken Politics, is uh it's quite political um it's funnily enough with the title um it's quite um it's it's singing from a personal it's singing from her heart um and it is about life and her life but it's also about the bigger picture um and the migration problems there's a song called kong which is the one i think i mentioned before it's a beautiful song and i didn't quite get it first of all i just thought it was about a broken heart but it's kind of about being broken hearted about uh she went over herself and spent time at the camps on the other side of the tunnel in um in paris in france and um and yeah it's it's kind of it's very it's well I think you just need to go and and check it out. You can go onto YouTube and find her performing it uh, on a BBC television show called uh, Later with Jules, Later with Jules Holland, and she does a live version of it on that. It's wonderful. Um, big fan again. Well, no, I've never stopped being a fan, but my my love continues for Nana Cherry. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to say this week is this isn't recommendation. Now this is more about. Um, actually watching out for each other um this time of year when the nights get a bit longer and the days get a bit shorter people start to struggle a bit um people struggle with anxiety more and depression definitely uh becomes more prevalent in the winter months um and we've had a long and wonderful summer but just wanted to say if you are uh if you yourself suffer from any of the above that I've just mentioned, do not be afraid to talk to people about it. D discuss how you're feeling, because I know I do suffer slightly from, I think everybody does, but I know I suffer uh, from uh, seasonal affective disorder uh, to some degree. Um there are some lovely things about the winter and uh oh, i'll say the winter it's, it's late autumn winter um i i like bonfires and i like cozy nights in and i like being inside beside a, a roaring of fire um and being cozied up in country pubs and things like that i'm hoping to do lots of um and obviously for me it also means panto which is this week's podcast is all about that but just wanted to say be aware and if you're it's difficult because you if you see somebody else suffering struggling if they're a mate if they're a friend if they're a family member then you can if you think you can you know whether you can or not address it and it's just i think people be a little bit aware of each other we're going through some tough times in the world um uh, we're not going to go into that right now but 
people are feeling extra vulnerable. And again, as we get to a time when and some people may feel a little bit more isolated because you spend more time indoors, just be aware of those people. And, and, and if you feel you can grab them, get them out, take them for dinner, do what needs to be done or just be a regular phone call then be that person. And I just wanted to say that, and I'm not really quite sure. It's just been in my mind, and I, I, as, as, as I say, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a darker evening as I'm recording this after just being out with today's guest. Um, and, yeah, just be aware of each other. And if you're somewhere else in the world and it's getting lighter, then enjoy summer. Um, and welcome to summer down under <laughs> and other parts of the world. Um but yes, that's all I really wanted to say on that. Um, be nice to each other. Anyway, it's time to jump in and meet the wonderful, the marvellous. And before I go any further, there is a little bit of background noise because we recorded it in the pub where I got married, indeed. Um, the wonderful, the marvellous, Mr. Robert Pierce, Mama G. So, hello, hello. Robert Pierce. It's been a long time. So we just figured out that we've known each other since... 2005. 2005. Approximately September, I think. Approximately to the month. Yes. Um, because of the Gaydar Diaries. Yes. Which was the starting point of a lot of friendships and working relationships over the years. And uh, and uh, and we're still in touch with quite a few of them, but yes. some have been on the podcast already. Have you? Oh, I've listened to one of them. Uh, Menno, Tony. Tony, Tony, there we go. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about them, we're here to talk about you. Me, how exciting. Um, it's your moment. I've <gasps> been waiting um, for this for years. <laughs> so, Robert is currently been very clever and has, will start off, has created a character called Mama G, which has origins in, in uh, a, a, a pantomime character. Yes. Um... Let's actually, we'll come back to that. Okay. Because I want to go right, right back to the beginning, to the very beginning. <laughs> um, to tell us where you are. And oh, there's a hand dryer that will go off at moments. When the hand dryer yes. goes off, we'll just come in a little bit closer. And it's gone again. It's gone. So, Robert. Yes. Um, where were you born? How and why? Uh, well, I'd rather not go into the how, um, but I was born in Plymouth. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, you can't tell in my accent, I don't think. Uh, I lived there for seven years, and then I moved to Bristol, and I grew up in Bristol. So you're saying Bristol, but there's an accent. Bristol, yes. And don't even get me started when I say Bath. No, I said it right then. Oh. I usually say Bath. Bath and Path. Yeah. Um, and obviously when I went to drama school, people tried to stop me from saying that, but now I get confused. So I really focus on saying bath and path, but then sometimes I say maths, and you just look like an idiot. Um, yeah, so I went, uh, grew up in Bristol. Yes. And then went to... So that was school years? Yes. And <laughs> that was like the briefest history of Robert Pierce <laughs> yes. ever. Plymouth, Bristol, and Does. here we are. Over and out. In London. Um, so, <laughs> let's just go back a little bit. Okay. Um, so, school years. Yes. I mean, just as a whole. I don't. We don't have to go year by year, but um, if you want to. Um, but yeah, how how was? Did you enjoy school? I think I enjoyed school. I enjoyed uh, infants and junior school. Yeah, they're the carefree years, aren't they? 
And then they are actually, yeah. I think I was definitely at school for secondary school, but I do remember having a feeling every Wednesday of, oh, phew, I'm halfway through the week. Uh-huh. It's yes. almost Friday evening. And then I can remember that feeling every Sunday of going, oh, I've got to go to school tomorrow. But actually, I don't remember school. You hate, you no, I don't remember it. school being too much of an issue at all. I just think it's something that I still have as an adult, which is a dislike of being organised and told what to do, where to go, and how to be. Yes, um, which leads us will lead us later to where you are in your career. <laughs> actually, funnily enough, but so so I mean because as you may have heard when talking to other people, a lot of people have talked about going through some kind of. Not that it's a necessary part of the path, but mm. gone through some kind of bullying um, related to their sexuality or uh, anything. Did that, so, did you have any of that, or, or not at all? Really? Um, I think I did. I think I'm I'm quite susceptible to bullying because I'm quite softly spoken and I'm quite a nice person. But the flip side of that is I'm also quite belligerent. So, if people are bullying me, I'm not aware. Or. Uh-huh. Or I can be aware, but I don't understand why they're doing it, and therefore it doesn't bother me, because I just didn't... I'm, when I was at infant school, I'd worn glasses my entire life, and I was getting called Four Eyes. Oh, OK. And I can remember going home to my mum, and I said, oh, they're calling me Four Eyes at school, and she got a little bit anxious, and I was like, but I don't understand it. Uh-huh. I was like, Four Eyes must be better than two, right? <laughs> and, and so I just never, ever let it bother me. And... At secondary school, people used to call me gay all the time, and I was like, oh, what's the problem? Because... Uh, okay. Because I am. So and what, year, what year were you... What years were you at secondary school? Sorry, throw that 1995 in. 2000. Okay. And then, and then I went to sixth form until 2002. Okay. Um, and... Gay was definitely being banded around as an insult. Uh, yeah, you were at that time. Yeah. Was, but because I wasn't... Yeah. Because I wasn't aware that it was an insult, I was a little bit anxious that maybe people knew. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, I am. But, so... Yeah, so I don't, I don't so know why well. this is a problem. Um, and all that really led to is when I was 15, I told people. And then everyone was just like, oh... Uh, so you were, right, so you were 15? Yeah, because I was like, well, if everyone knows already... I may as well just tell them. And, uh, so that was family, school. Yeah, so I started at school. The very first person I told was my Catholic friend, because I figured if he was all right, then I'd probably be good to go. It's a good place to start. Um, it's a brave place to start, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he, we had a chat about it and he was cool. I think it transpires that he probably told a lot of other people, so he must be fairly relaxed about it. If you're listening, Michael, sorry if that's wrong. Um, and then I yeah, gradually just started to tell my family. It took me longer to tell my family. Mm. Um, Why do you think it took you longer to speak to them? Because quite often that's the... Because I care about their opinion. Right. Uh, and right. obviously I cared about my friends' opinions, but it was... They, they, they were my contemporaries, mm-hmm. and they, they knew know me in a way that my family didn't know yeah. me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then when I told them, my family was quite relaxed about it. Yeah, belligerence got me through the bullying stage of my life. No, no, no. It's not always the way, of course, that everyone's been bullied, but it's just, even if, like you say, even if it's kind of a low level, um, and it also depends on on the age. I mean, I've had some guests who've said, uh, somebody I was in Panto with a couple of years ago, and he's 
recently been through school, actually not that long ago, okay. and just his experience of it just not being an issue, mm. but then he was in a school in London, if it had been somewhere in a small town, who knows what the experience has been like, I mean, yeah. you know, it's just interesting that all our experiences, and it is interesting that everybody's experience is different, mm. um, and my experience was fine, and do you know what, sometimes actually I feel quite bad that my experience is fine, because, because you know, when someone says, oh, what was it like for you being gay at school? And you're like, oh, it was okay. But then the next person says, oh, it was dreadful. And I'm like, oh, no. Should, should my story be... No, you shouldn't feel guilty. Like, no, you shouldn't feel guilty. Like, no, 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 no. It's brilliant that you didn't have yeah. to experience any of that. Have you experienced any homophobia in life? I mean, I mean, sort of in a, in a, in a larger way? Has it ever touched you um, in London or...? Do you know, I don't, I don't think that I've been no. aware of it. Right, well... I mean, the thing that does get to me, well, it doesn't really get to me, but I'm aware of, is casual homophobia mm. in, like, in friendship groups. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got several friends that, you know, are like, oh, you're the gay, you're the gay, oh, that's what gays do. And I'm like, it's funny, sometimes I go along, but if they phrase a joke right, or they time mm-hmm. it right, very funny. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think, well, is that... Are you just being homophobic towards me and cushioning it? Mm. Because you know I like you. It's the same as casual racism, casual sexism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of like actually being attacked for it verbally or physically, I've, I've not really experienced Good. that. Good. Touch wood yes. never will happen. Um, no, just while we were on that subject, it just yeah, came to question. mind. Um, so, uh, were you quite academic? I, I, I would have guessed you were. Uh, I think I was, but only in the subjects I was interested in. English. So English, drama and history. They got my full attention. Maths. Maths, science. <laughs> I can remember the lessons, I can remember being there, and I can occasionally say words like photosynthesis, and I could potentially tell you that it has something to do with the sun. Well, there you go. And there we stop. <laughs> and biology is... Bodies. Yes. I tell you what I did like actually is I really enjoyed physics. Oh, did you? Um, I don't really understand it, but I so quite no, liked I... doing algebra in maths. I don't understand it, but I like doing puzzles. So what would happen is every lesson, I wouldn't know what was going on, but by the end of the lesson I'd be able to solve an equation, or yeah. I'd understand like something to do with physics, and then by the next lesson I'd have forgotten it again, and we'd go back to square one. But I enjoyed the process of... So it's problem solving more than the actual, yes, than the actual subjects. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think I've met any of the, any performer I've talk, spoken to who has actually said maths was good and no. I'm good at it. I mean, it's a cliche, but I guess it's cliche for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. I had good maths teachers. I probably enjoyed oh, yeah. the lessons, but I, I don't care for the subject no. at all. Going back to... Um, so you've already answered one of my questions, but your first experience, and I'm going to say in a gay space. So going into a, an environment where, and not just, and I don't mean drama school, <laughs> but unless it was your first, but uh, going into a bar, a, a, a youth club, uh, somewhere where you were kind of like, oh, everybody here is, we're all the same, and where was it and how did it make you feel? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. And actually, I know. it wasn't until it should be a good question. <laughs> it was drama school where that happened it was for drama me. Um, because I didn't quite live in Bristol. I lived outside of Bristol in a small town called Thornbury. Um, 
and from what I could tell at the time, gays weren't a thing. They did sell Attitude in the oh, local Circle oh. K, uh, which is a chain of news agents that might be purely southwest. I don't know. Um, and that's when I bought my first gay magazine, and it had one of the boys off of Westlife on it. Very exciting. Um, but no, the very, very first day I was at Rose Bruford, which is where I studied drama. Yes. Um, we turned up on the Thursday for the induction and actually had nothing to do until the Monday. Mm-hmm. So this group of random people I'd just met in the theatre said, let's go to South End." So this guy drove us to South End, and he's from London, so I think South End must have been like a holiday destination right, for right, him. Right, right, And we went to a gay bar, a gay pub in South, in End. South End in the afternoon on a Thursday. And I have a feeling it was near the train station, but I can't really remember. And that left me quite cold because nothing was going on and there were just old men everywhere. Just like any other pub in the daytime. Exactly, which is now my ideal situation. Having just moved to London, that wasn't quite the experience I was looking for. But that evening we drove back to London Mm. and we went to Lewisham. Uh-huh. And my very first gay bar was Stonewalls. Oh my goodness. Well, there is a... Uh, we, uh, I've had many, many evenings there over the years. Doesn't yes. exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. Um, for, people, for listeners outside of the UK, London, Lewisham is... Uh, a, a town, is it? Town's town? Yeah, it in is. In south-east London. It's an area of south-east London. And a borough. And... It used to have three gay venues. Yes. Um, but Stonewalls was the, the late night venture that then became 368. That's correct. Um, and uh, and I don't think it's anything anymore. No, it's just a black building. It's just, yeah, closed it's really down. sad. sad. Um, I love Yes, yeah, so how was your experience Wars. in Stonewalls? The, that first time was quite awkward. Oh. I'd not really been to many clubs before, so... I just didn't know what was going on and I wasn't very relaxed. Um, but then I started to go there quite regularly. And okay. I very much started to enjoy myself. Um, and I just, that's where I'd, I'd never been in such a big group of gay people before. I'd never really been out with my friends as a legal age to drink before. I'd never seen a drag queen that wasn't on the television. Oh, right. So that was quite cool. Um, and I just, it was so nice to be in a space that I felt comfortable in. Sure. And I, and like, we all used to go there, it became quite a regular thing. And it was That's always Stonewall. We used to, there was the purple buckle, the road buckle. The road buckle was purple. Yes. That's why you're thinking. Yes, we went there a few times, but Stonewalls was more fun for me. Yeah. Um, yes, no, many, many nights and... I think even some of our guests, previous guests, have been there and we know. Anyway, it's, 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 it was in honour of Stonewall Inn in New York, but I think quite a very different environment. It is, I've done both. <laughs> um, but no, a good place to, an interesting place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then did you venture into Soho and... Yeah, gradually. This, this trajectory I'm not too sure on. Are you sure? Um, I do know we used to go to Ghetto a lot. Yes, indeed. It was my favourite place. Uh-huh. Um, and we go to the Astoria. 
Which and doesn't exist anymore. Which doesn't exist, and that makes me really sad because one of the reasons I loved the Astoria yeah. being a true so, theatre queen is that it used to be a theatre. Yeah. yeah. And if ever I wasn't getting enough attention, or I, like my friends weren't talking to me, or I simply wasn't dancing or something, I'd just look around at the architecture and the stage. And I loved that you could go and see, you know, the acts on a Saturday mm-hmm. and see them on an actual stage, like they had space to perform oh, yeah. and put on full-on shows. Yeah, big stage. And, you know, amazing well, people performed there and it was such a good location. Yeah. And there was something very theatrical about it. Well, it was a big no, no, I just absolutely. loved it. I saw bands there in the 80s and 90s. Mm. So, as well as it being a gay club, it was a music venue. But anyway, Astoria is now part of Crossrail, which is going to be connecting London together, apparently, at some point. But anyway, we won't go into the yeah, Please there. hurry up. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, it affects you. Yes. Um, your location. Um, so, yes, actually, just uh, state whereabouts in London you are based right now. Oh, so, right now, I live in Woolwich. Um, which is southeast as well. Southeast, near Greenwich yeah. and Blackheath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on the river. On the river, which is amazing. Yeah. In fact, you can get boats from Greenwich to from where we are to home. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, we're also in the venue by chance where I've just realised that I haven't mentioned it, where I got married. So uh, we're we're in the pub below. So uh, yes, it's uh, full of memories. Anyway, goodness, very, very exciting memories. Very exciting. Actually, nice memories. So um, that was your first experience in the going space. Good. Yes. Um, so yeah. I, what point did theatre performance panto should I go so far as to say panto become a thing for you to when did you when did your interests start to grow at what age were you and what, what happened um, this is the oldest cliche I think um, but I got taken to a panto when I was two or three in Western Supermare uh-huh. uh, it was Mother Goose and I was terrified of the witch but for some reason, and my grandmother doesn't like Panto, but I do remember her being there. And for some reason, even though I was terrified of the witch, my family persevered. So the following year, my mum took me to the Panto in Plymouth, which had Ruth Maddock in. Yeah. But then, the following year, we went back to the same Panto in Plymouth, and we saw Sleeping Beauty, and this is literally the moment. Mm. Had Hinge and Bracket as the good and bad fairies. And I can remember from that moment, there was quite a lot of controversy in Plymouth because there was Hinton Brackett as the good and bad fairies, obviously a very well-known drag act at the time, and Geoffrey Holland from Heidi High was playing the Dane. And there was a lot of chatter about the fact that there were going to be three men dressed as women on the stage, and it was all a little bit controversial. Right. And I can remember my mum explaining this to me, which is incredibly open-minded of her. She had, didn't need to. Yeah. And I can remember her describing the pantomime dame to me and picturing a red and white polka dot dress walking through the auditorium. Uh-huh. And I've got, that's such a strong memory. And then when I played Plymouth a few years ago, they've got pictures all around their corridors of old shows. And there's a picture of the dame from the Ruth Maddock year wearing a red and white polka dot oh. dress. Wow. So even as a three-year-old, that's a character that I'd zoned in on. Wow. And to reflect on that, I think it's pretty, pretty exciting and also to for you to then go all the way around and to to end up there yourself yes 
how incredible. Sadly, I wasn't the Dane when I was in. It was, wasn't doing Panto in Plymouth. Right. But just to be in but just that theatre in that room. space was amazing. And a memory trigger. Yeah, it was so exciting to have your memory, like a three-year-old, a three-year-old, three-year-old's memory corroborated by actual <laughs> proof was fantastic. My goodness. So, so that was so you said so three. So Panto kicked it off. Yes. Um, and then when did you start to kind of have the idea that actually this might be something you could do as a, as a life choice, um, career choice? I think that probably happened when you were four. <laughs> when I was, yes, when I started doing it at three. Well, very quickly my mum put me in a youth theatre in Plymouth. Right. Um, and I did come to life on stage. Uh, so that was definitely a thing that I knew I enjoyed doing. But in terms of it being a career, I think when I was 13, I saw another pantomime in Plymouth with Roy Hudd and Jack Tripp. And that was the turning point. And then the same year I saw Copacabana, the Barry Manilow musical, on tour. And that was, that's my, in my head, my defining year. Because that's the year where I went, this is what I have to do. And the thing that made me do that is when we were watching Mother Goose, my dad was with us and he at the time said he didn't like Panto at all. He was dragged there. And by the end of the show, he was crying with laughter. And I thought, I looked at him and I thought, I want to make people that happy. Because he'd gone in as grumpy as you like and left just having had the best time and I thought feet that turn it around yeah. that's what I want to happen mm-hmm. that's what I want to right. do to be oh and just 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 because I will forget hinge and bracket if you don't know go have a google while you're listening um I, I, what's the best way to describe them as um two elderly yeah they basically played two old ladies who um sang operetta sang little operetta but they were they were part of their um their their storyline as it were was they were part of their local amateur gilbert and sullivan society where that's right yes. and dame hilda brackett's quite larger than life and brash and very you know, in on herself, and Dr. Bethany Hinge was the more forthright, caring about the money, watching the purse. I just think they were brilliant characters. They're worth YouTubing, absolutely, especially for fans of all kinds of drag, which a lot of these listeners are. Um, then yeah, go and go and investigate them definitely. Anyway, just had to yeah, no good to, to point that out, and it's this is what we're here for. We're educating, we're to educate and entertain. Absolutely. Um, so. 13 was kind of when you were like, okay, Barry Manilow, <laughs> Barry Manilow, engine bracket, brilliant. <laughs> when, you, when you put it together, you could it see was, it all coming it, together. I mean, you know, it's no, it's no doubt. You no were choice. ever going to end up where you are now. Absolutely. I mean, so, so yeah, okay, so from there, uh, obviously drama at school. Yeah, and you did all the school youth plays, youth, youth theatres. Youth theatres. Um, and then drama school pretty yes yeah I went to Rose Bruford so I've had Peter Bramley on here I don't know and he was head of movement maybe after you well the thing is with Rose Bruford <coughs> oh, yes. I did I did an interesting course I didn't do the acting course I did American theatre arts so we had a different set of 
I teachers. That. And if I did, I'd forgotten. Oh, yes. Okay. It was because oh, you also went to Texas. Texas. I lived in Texas for a year. In uh, for my second year, we went to the Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches. So how was that being in Texas? It was amazing. Yeah. I, we sort of got a biased experience though, because of course we were in a arts department, so we were surrounded by people who were open-minded and broad-minded. Yeah. Um, but the year before, that really horrible reverend. Oh, um, <sighs> from um, the West yes. Baptist Church. Yes, that yes. one. I can't remember his name, which is good. Yeah, um, we know who he is. But yeah, he'd, he'd had a protest there a few years before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just being in Texas was incredible. In a small town, and at really beautiful people. Oh, so it was a small place. Yes. Yeah. Nacogdoches is, I think it's supposed to be the oldest town in Texas. Wow. Davy Crockett went through there or something on his way to the Alamo. What's the nearest city? It's, it's literally like two hours between Dallas and two hours between Houston. Oh, okay, so it is. Yeah. Uh, um, and we well, just met like amazing people, some of whom I'm still friends with now. And wow. yeah, it was a great experience. And so you were interested in panto in Texas. Oh, I put on a panto in Texas. Of course you did. I well, oh, of course you did. As, as part of because I would, I would go on about it all the time, um, and we had to do a directing module, and as part of the directing module, you had to direct uh, like a five-minute excerpt from a play, and um, I directed a five-minute excerpt from Dick Whittington. Amazing. And with. Texan actors who had no idea what a panto was and it was they were trying to play it really naturally and it wasn't working at all and then one day I said just go really over the top just go outrageous and they did it and I went that's it and do you know what this is the the starting level (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) now you can just take it further and by the time we got to the actual like performance they were having an amazing time and we had to like, I had to do like a set plan. Brilliant. And you know, one of the things that upset me the most about that set plan was the our directing tutor had worked at the Birmingham Rep on their Panto Cinderella, mm-hmm. which he's always loved telling me about. And he looked at my set plan and he marked it saying, this must be copied from somewhere. And it wasn't, not a single piece of that set plan was copied. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Texas was fantastic. What I said you that was a year. Yeah, just about nine months, but yeah, I call sure. it a year. A full year. An academic year. Yeah, yeah. academic year. <clears throat> yeah, amazing experience. So, um, so then uh, we met, not, not you, so you just realised that you, Rose Bruford, you left. Gaydar Diaries happened. Yes. And how long did it take you to actually start putting Panto into your life firmly as a... I'm trying to think after that, how long between leaving drama school and it, your first gig? Well, I got my first panto gig whilst I was at drama school. Oh, did you? Yeah, so I, around that April, I just wrote to every panto company that I knew of and asked when I needed to um, give them my CV to audition. And a few got back to me and I'd missed a few and a few were like, you don't have any experience. And then one company called Extravaganza Productions, who producing Middlesbrough and Stockport, um, said we'd like you to come up for an audition. So I went and auditioned, God knows what it was like. 
Um, but I ASM'd for them that Christmas in Middlesbrough. And that's literally where it started because my goal throughout my entire drama school career was that the Christmas I left drama school, I was going to do a professional pantomime. Right. And I haven't looked back. Yeah. And in fact, my tutor at drama school, I remember being in the pub with him, and he said, the thing is, Robert, is we, just, we just can't work you out. What's your, what's your dream role? That Willie Loman, Stanley Kowalski. And I was like, honestly, Widow Twanky. <laughs> And I've played with Otranky several times now, thank you very much. Yes, so, yes, so give me the, the number. How many pantos now? Uh, 20, I actually noted it down somewhere. 20 pantos in 10 years? Yes, so we're, we're probably looking at about 26 or 27 now, because this is my 13th or 14th year of doing panto this Christmas coming. Wow. Uh, and I've probably done two or three a year for the last five or six years. So yes, yeah, so this is the other thing we were saying is that it's it's a growing, it's an ever growing concern um, that it's not just Christmas now and that you're working at Easter, at summer, yes, um, half term pantos, summer pantos. Um, for a while, I did panto straight after panto. So in January, we did a company I used to work for. We used to do a little tour around um, village halls uh-huh. of a panto. But Panto is really big business in this country. Yes. Um, because it's an art form that speaks to all the ages. Yeah. And it's, it's a truly unique British art form. So I'm really excited that so many places are doing it and it's getting done. I don't know if it's getting a good reputation anymore, but it's getting done and that's the main thing. And yeah, no, no, I have to ask you, because I know you've worked with a, a zillion people and some celebrities. Yes. Um, what's your take on, as, as, a, as a devout pantoist? Yes. Pantoist? Pant- pantoer? Pantoer? Okay. Let's go with uh. <laughs> you've done more pantoer. Um, how do you feel about, I mean, and obviously you've worked with it a lot, and I'm sure you've had pleasant times with it. Yes. But, what are your feelings on panto relying, sometimes relying on uh, on a name from a reality television show or music? Or that? What are your feelings on that? Does that take away from the, the core of the art of it? And um, I actually think that celebrity in pantomime is part of the art of pantomime. Right. Um, Celebrity has been a really important factor in pantomime since the Victorian period. So since Music Hall was a really big deal and people like Marie Lloyd and Dan Lean and Herbert Campbell were huge stars. They've, they've been intrinsic to selling pantomime. So they are part of the reason why pantomime is such a big deal that it is now. Um, and then it gets a bit trickier in our commercial pantos now because, for instance, if you were to do a panto at the Bristol Hippodrome and there were no stars in it, people would assume it was no good. So you need the stars there to give it some validity and some worthwhile for the audience to go and see it. But if you get the wrong star, then your show becomes no good. So it's a really fine balancing act. So choosing the right person at the helm. And that can come in many different forms. That can be someone who's very, who's got a great storyline this year on EastEnders, who's being talked about. 
that can be a good person to sell because actually if they're good or bad in the pantomime it really doesn't matter mm -hmm. and I'd just like to say that I've worked with people from EastEnders and they've all been fantastic oh there you go um, but you can you also get actors celebrities who love panto mm -hmm. and are passionate about panto themselves um, I have to say I did panto with Anthony Costa from Blue oh yeah yeah and he is proper into panto right. like you know that you're working with someone there who cares about the mm -hmm. genre and when I did panto with Paul Daniels and Devin McGee like oh, they yes, love it and that's really special mm -hmm. when you, you get someone then who, who wants to be as good in panto as you want to be that's magical. I mean, without naming any names, obviously, mm. but have you ever encountered someone in that position who didn't want to be there and was just doing it kind of under duress and because uh, they're booked? Or have you never? I, I don't know, actually. I think I've been quite lucky. Oh, that's good. Um, Do you hear some horror stories? I mean, I've never personally had that moment, but you've hit, I've heard stories from around the UK. Yeah. Sometimes people are they're just there because they've got a gig. Absolutely. I mean, I've worked with people who've given lazy performances. Sure. But then they always give lazy performances. It's not but a case of them not wanting to be there. It's just they don't have the same technique. Yeah, absolutely. If you went to see them in Macbeth, they would give the same performance as they gave. <laughs> but I said it in a pub. <laughs> yes, really. That's right. <laughs> um, and and I've, I've worked with people that don't respect the people around them and therefore necessarily the craft but have still turned up and done good performances mm -hmm. and I think the more that we have social media and the more that going viral is very much a thing you, can aff you can't afford to not be interested in what you're doing because someone always has their phone out someone will always take a picture someone will always do that long status on Facebook mm -hmm. that you know bitches you out yeah so a celebrity especially if they want to keep their reputation and they want to work next year they're going to have to protect yeah. themselves up the ante and, and, be, yeah. and be good and come to the party um, uh -huh. yeah. and also the great thing is I've worked with people who've been nervous about doing panto celebrity wise uh -huh. and then just have the best time ever and that's really rewarding I think it's when people realise that yeah of course it's hard it's incredible incredibly hard work uh, as far as hours that you put in on a, on a three-show day, for yes. instance. But actually, the rewards can be... Uh, the, 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 the fun you can have. Once, you, once you've done all the groundwork and you feel stable in your frame, that you can play and have... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, once you start to have fun, that's the best. It's the best feeling. It's it's just it's it's uh, ladies and gentlemen. If you could see Robert's face lighting up, <laughs> talking about this subject, um, and I'm just a mere novice in following in these man's steps because yeah, I'm, I'm only on four in my life, and uh, it's now starting to become a thing that I I enjoy and and I want to do more of. But it Good. took me to get to an age. I think I had my own maybe my own issues about it. I don't know. Well, it, for the last few years, it's, it's, it's really increased in its um, appreciation. But the 80s, early 90s was a really rough time. Mm. It, it, you know, when we were employing bodybuilders and, you know, 
soap star, like foreign soap stars and things. It um, not that they were bad, no, no, but no. it was getting a really and it was the material was really blue. Mm-hmm. They were like variety shows, whereas now we're getting a real good focus on story, which yeah. is massively which important. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, like the Palladium is a spectacle, um, which is important as well. It's exciting to go and watch, and we're not. They're not cheap shows anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it is going to be a family's only visit to the theatre that year, you have to make it worth them going to, and you have to make those children want to go and see it the following year. Yeah. But the flip side of it, and this is a little negative, but it's always the way I look at it. I always think that this could be someone's last experience of theatre as well. Through no like, you know, if they're, they're ill. Oh, I see. You, you never know what's going to happen and if I went if the last thing I saw was dreadful I don't I don't want anything to happen to me with that being my feeling oh, on it I want so I want to do the best show I can because you never know when someone's going to not go to the theatre again mm-hmm. it, it could be that they can't afford it but I want them yeah. to want you know to have that dream to be able to get there mm. Do you remember? Do you remember doing the, the first time that you stepped out in the dress? Do you have a? Do you, does that memory stick with you? Uh, I because mine does actually. The first time and and the reaction. Do you remember the first time? Actually, the first time you got a reaction, an audience warmed to you. Yes. Um, it wasn't professionally, it was amateur. Right. And I was, as my uh, youth theatre in Thornbury, um, we did something at the Chantry, which is our little community centre. I can't remember what it was, some Christmas event, but I'd written a 20 minute version of Cinderella. And my friend, Michael, and I played the Ugly Sisters. And there was a moment during that performance where I don't know what I was talking about, but I knew that whatever came out of my mouth was funny mm. because I was really in character and I had the audience mm. in the palm of my hands. Mm. And I've never forgotten that moment because that's to experience that is really special. And that just made me go, oh, I've got to have this again. None more of this. And even professionally, I don't always get that. But when I do, like that feels really good. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that's the first moment when I was like, oh, I see. I see how this is supposed uh, yeah, to feel. And it dawned. And it yeah. Happened. Yeah, well, I mean, it's clearly still working for you. Hopefully. <laughs> how many years now then? So, say 14 years? So, professional. Well, uh, yeah, professionally, this is my 14th pantomime coming up, which is Peter Pan at the Woodville Theatre in Gravesend. Yes, there we go. There we go. Running from? Uh, from the 7th of December to the 1st of January. And you've also written a panto, which is... Oh, yes, I've written uh, Sleeping Beauty at the Camberley uh, Theatre, uh, which is, I think... Roughly. <laughs> so it finishes on the 31st of December. Okay. And this can be an exclusive for you, Matt. Yeah. In January, my company, Petite Pantos, is producing two pantos. Amazing. We're producing Dick Whittington at the Red Lion in Leytonstone from the 3rd to the 6th of January. Yes. And then Dick Whittington again at the Denmark Arms in East Ham from the 11th to the 13th of January. Amazing. And can get tickets from? 
Check the website, <laughs> deeplantos.com. <laughs> Not quite sure where you can get the tickets from yet, but all the information will, will be, there. be there. Yes. Um, so yes, let's do, as, as we're talking about, so tell me about forming Petit Pantos. Let's, let's go there. Fabulous. Um, well, I've worked for the same panto company for eight or so years, doing pantos in Seven Oaks in Gravesend. Mm-hmm. And then I decided that I wanted a change of scenery and I decided to go and look for Panto elsewhere. What I hadn't realised, having been in the same company for eight years, and they used to book me like the year before, the next year, yeah. is that actually it's quite hard to find Panto when you've, you're very specifically a dame character and also you've not, I've not been networking with anyone. I've just been doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a real struggle to get Panto. I did end up getting it in Camberley, mm. but before I booked that Panto, I decided the only way to solve the situation was to put on my own. <sighs> so I did. I booked the Drayton Arms Theatre, which is a pub, really yes. nice pub theatre yes. in Kensington. Yes. Um, I booked it for a week and I put on a double bill of pantomimes. When was this? Uh, at the start of this year. Oh, this was this year? 2018. Oh, okay. January 2018. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Camberley worked out around it, which was really lucky. Um, and people were saying to me oh January that's a bit out of season isn't it that's a bit and I thought well it's not but you know if that's the attitude you're going to bring to this situation I'm going to have to find a way of marking this out from other pantomimes and justifying why I'm doing it so I decided that I wanted petite pantos to be pantos with a social conscience Mm -hmm. Because I can go on about this for ages, Matt. So I hope no, you're ready. this is why we're here. Get yourself comfortable, this dear is why listener. We're here. Get a cup of tea. <laughs> get the kettle on. You can take take your phone with you. Listen, keep listening. Um, like I said earlier, panto is an art form that speaks to three-year-olds up to ninety-three-year-olds, but it's got a bad reputation. And I'm I'm really curious about why the National Theatre doesn't put on a pantomime. Pantomime is a uniquely British art form, and yet our National Theatre has done one in its entire existence, like 1981, I think. Right. And the Old Vic almost went for it, it managed to, the Barbican did a few, and yet pantomime can speak to everyone about politics, about acceptance, about sexuality, and it does do those things already, but no one one highlights them. Yeah. And I was like, why would the National book a David Hare play for three months to talk about the state of the nation that only the National Theatre audience are going to see when I can write a pantomime that talks about the state of the nation, but children are going to come and see it, adults are going to come and see it, and people from places that will never go to the National Theatre are going to come and see it. It can then discuss our community and our world in a way that they will appreciate and have enjoyed and have understood themselves. Because also, I've sat through some David Hyde plays, and they are not as much fun as sitting through John Inman as Widow Cranky. No, but, yeah. Um, And it absolutely, and once I thought about that, I couldn't let go of this idea. Mm So that's what I decided I wanted Petite Pantos to set out and do. Mm. So the first show we did was two Petite Pantos, which is where the name came from, and it was a double bill of one-act pantomimes. Right. The first one was Dick Whittington and was super traditional. Mm-hmm. But then the second one was Mother Goose, mm-hmm. and the baddie was Donald Trump, and his lines were verbatim Donald Trump. Oh, really? And it was way too easy. Right. Like, it actually made me really sad. <laughs> Um, and it had a LGBTQ-inspired um, soundtrack, so 
um, LGBT artists, mm -hmm. songs by them, mm -hmm. um, which was great, mm -hmm. um, and it had a, gave it a good theme. Um, a majority of my cast were women, okay. um, so I was basically I was trying to address a lot of things, and and it's and Mother Goose is a great story because it's all about corruption and greed, which is where we are right now. Yeah, and yeah, and now I was able to make Brexit jokes, and my dream was to go downstairs to the bar and hear a child talking about Brexit mm. with their parents mm -hmm. because of what they'd just heard. And I don't know if that happened, but I feel oh. confident that it was the right <laughs> thing to do. Um, we did Mother Goose again at the Brighton Fringe. Yes, where it was very well received, and we did a show called Now That's What I Call Panto at the London Clown Festival. Right, where I basically put on a show about a good and a bad fairy wanting, and a boy called Silly Billy who didn't know who whether he liked boys or liked girls, and the bad fairy's like, you like girls, I'll show you that that's the right way, and the good fairy says, oh, you can love whoever you want. And we had families come and see that, and, and there was one really lovely moment, I can't, I can't, rem oh, um, Silly Billy is talking to the audience and when he's doing his opening spiel, done a few gags, he's like, the only thing is I, there's no one who loves me and the audience go, oh, and he said, I want to find love really badly, but I don't know what kind of love I want. Um, put your hands up if, if you've got a girlfriend and all the little kids put their hands up and then put your hands up if you've got a boyfriend and then this must have been five years old, just kept his hand up and everyone else put their hands down and I was like, that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. That 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 kid yeah. probably doesn't know what we're talking about, really. He, of course, he's yeah, got yeah. friends that are boys. Yeah. But if he, if that yeah. kid, if there's a, you know, he might turn out to be gay. But if in some way, from watching our show for an hour, has influenced him when he's 15 that actually it's okay to love a boy, mm -hmm. because he saw as a child that it was okay to love a boy, mm -hmm. then that's exactly what I think Panto can do, and it's so powerful. Yeah. No, I agree, and I think also there is something, I don't know about you, but there was something, and it's nothing to do with that, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trans, I'm not, uh, I, I, I don't want to dress as a woman in my daily life, mm -hmm. but there's still something quite, from, from an audience point of view, looking up at the man playing the matriarchal, giant version of that mm. is quite empowering and I don't know if that's necessarily as a gay child but there was something in that for me that when I finally came to do it that that little boy was still there going oh yeah yeah oh yeah you used to you, this was funny and you used to find this funny and now you can be that funny per like you were yeah. saying about your own thing you're, yeah. you're, you're allowed to be that now Absolutely. And yeah, it's a long story between little boy and coming out and then ending up as a dame in a panto. Uh, um, <laughs> so yeah. yes, um, so you've now created, as we started with, you've created Mama G. Yes. So can you tell us a bit about that? Because that came from the clowning festival? Yes, that's a bit of a mix of the clown festival and the Brighton yes. Fringe. Um, Mama G is a panto dame storyteller and she goes around the country telling children and their families or anyone who listens to be honest um, stories about being who you are and loving who you want that is her remit that's um, and that covers everything so she's got stories with an LGBT angle um, she's got stories um, 
about people from other countries coming to live in our country, which is something I'm very passionate about. Um, and it, and it's, yeah. So basically, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was going to say. Um, so from from that point, that she, so where you had this dawning that she could be a good. Uh, tool for you to keep doing what you're doing yes but also a great business really. absolutely good you very good interviewing you corralled me incredibly well then as i was just losing my train no, no, of thought no, 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 i know but you you're, 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 you're seeing yourself you're yes. thinking about it and i know where yes so yes yeah, so what happened there is um this year for me personally has been quite interesting I've, it's been very high and very low and the start of the year was quite rough for numerous reasons one of them was financial and I was in my bed trying to get to sleep but worrying about my bank balance and just going I just need that thing that's going to be a good idea and is going to people are going to be interested in because it's been a, a battle having a love for pantomime that people just dismiss you and they're they're like mm, great well, that's a that's a fantasy but we we don't want panto and we don't for this yeah um and so i created this panto for the london clown festival the good and bad fairy and i was talking to one of my friends at the unicorn theater where i do front of house shout out to the unicorn um and she was like well that sounds like a great story you should write that down so i started to write it down and i turned it into a poem and I sent it to her via email and she was like, this is really good. You should, you know, obviously find a publisher now. And I was like, mm, yeah, that's, that's a logical step, but I don't know where you look for a publisher. So I went to Buzzfeed, the modern Bible, and um, they had like 15 stages of publishing a children's book. Stage 15 being finding the publisher. And around like stage three or four was read your book to children to see if they enjoy it. And I thought that's absolutely logical. And it was just as we were doing Mother Goose down in Brighton. And Mother Goose as a historical character, as a storyteller. So I contacted some venues in Brighton and said, I'm here promoting a show, but could I also come into your venue for free and read this story? And I'll, I'll do it in character because um, I want to see if it's any good or not. And a vegan cafe. Um, I'd, I'd love to give them a shout out. Cowley, I want to say Cowley, the Cowley Cafe. Um, it's very nice, actually. Okay. Um, they were like, yeah, come in. Search for it if you're in right. And if they're listening, I apologise. Um, and they were like, yeah, we come in for two afternoons. Um, we had very small audiences both times, but I got into my full get-up. And I read my story to some families and they all loved it. And then it was Pride Week was coming up. And I thought, well, this story is about boys liking boys. I'd probably try and get into a few places for Pride. And I'd left it really late because I'm the queen of spontaneity. But I emailed um, Foyle's bookshop. And the foils on the South Bank said, this would be great. We'd love to have you come in. So I went in and did uh, some reading there. And then the unicorn, I said, what about if I come in for Pride and do some reading? And they already had an event planned, but they said, oh, come in and be part of this event and we'll, we'll theme it around Pride. Mm -hmm. So I went into the unicorn where I work and stood in the foyer and read stories to children that were coming in. And they were so supportive. And people have been really up for the idea. Mm. 
so it's just sort of blossoming. And, so you've, and you've done you've done a Pride as well. You did. Yes, I did. Uh, I've done three. You've done three. Wow. I did Leeds Pride, uh, and I was in the family area, and that was just incredible. Mm. Um, I've got a story called "You Better Twerk," which is about a because uh, I write all of Mamadou's stories myself. Yeah, they've just got loads now. But this one called "You Better Twerk" is about a boy who just loves to twerk, but nobody ever lets him. And he decides he wants to find a way of showing the world that twerking is who he is, and that's why he deserves to be respected. And he event bonfire night is about to be cancelled because they can't get the fire going, and he saves the day with twerking and finding the flames. Um, but the, the refrain through it is every authority figure he meets says to him, you better not twerk. And it's quite, like, it's quite nicely repeated, I think, as we go through. So I'm telling this story at Leeds Pride. There's like a couple of hundred people sat around watching me, I think. And I get to the mayor, who's the one that gives Michael the permission to twerk. And the mayor says, Michael, I have one thing to say to you. And literally, as one, the crowd went, you better twerk. And I just, I like, even telling the story, like I get like goosebumps because it was such a affirmative moment. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. those that's the effect I want my stories to have. That's amazing. Um, and I did Reading Pride on the main stage, which wow. was terrifying. So you and you do storytelling? I did, I told a story. Uh-huh. I did like a panto opening spot, so I okay. told lots of jokes. Um, and I sang a Bette Midler song. And you'll never guess what I did. I forgot the words. Oh, <laughs> and you do not forget the words to a lot of Midler song. In it. Oh, <laughs> I know. It was horrible. Oh, no. um, but... I got a really good response after that because my panto training came in and the one thing I can handle on stage is mistakes. Uh-huh. And if I mess up, I don't care. Uh-huh. In fact, I love it. Right. Um, and so I just, I was just like, oh, darling, darling, can you just stop the track, please? Do you know, I've got no idea where I am and I don't know what's going on. So I think we're just going to stop that song there, aren't we, everyone? And they just went, yeah. And it was just such a nice, warm feeling. Um, but the nicest pride I did was Eastly Pride. Okay, in Hampshire. Yes, Hampshire, yes, I think so. And it was their first ever Pride. Right. And until that moment, I hadn't really got Prides. Like, I was a bit of a Pride denier when I was a kid. Right. Because I've always been really comfortable with my sexuality, uh-huh. so I didn't see why I had to walk through the street dressed as an angel. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm getting to terms with that. And if you are going, walking through the street dressed as an angel, I absolutely do not mind, especially yes. if you're rocking the six-pack as well. Uh, yes. Um, but Eastley Pride is where I first understood why Pride exists because it's a small town we were in the sort of the park and I saw people for the first time walking around as themselves Uh and that was amazing Uh to watch like someone coming in to the park you know dressed as a woman but a man dressed as a woman Mm -hmm. and to think this is probably the first time you've been able to walk into your hometown as 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 you obviously before if you'd wanted to do this you've probably gone to Southampton or Brighton or London and I found that really touching and at the storytelling for some reason Easy Pride really wasn't taking off because there's so much going on and there was no focus on me I was just like a stall really right and I was, thought I was going to be a bit awkward but people came and chatted and what I discovered is that people really open up to Mama G Right. People were telling me that they'd come out that day to their families for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, about their experience transitioning. Wow. About, like, um, an autistic man came and spoke to me 
and he said, you know, I'm not gay, but I understand what it's like to not be part of society. Be the other. Yeah. And he said, so I wanted to come and share yeah, yeah, that yeah. experience. Wow. Because he'd never been with people that had felt outside of society before. And it was really powerful. Yeah, and that gave me quite a lot of validity as well. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Not that I'm yeah. constantly searching for validity, no, 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 but... but it made me happy that I was on the right track yeah. with things. And, I, and it was just really touching. The other thing you were saying earlier is um, that initially people, you had to introduce yourself as a drag queen yes. to, to get in the door. Yes. Um, can you explain that? Because that's an interesting thing. Yes, this would make sense. I, this, this probably is something that only exists in the UK because of Panto. But a Panto dame and a drag queen are both two very different beasts. Yeah. And there is a slight crossover. Yeah. Whether it's a success or not is a matter of personal opinion. Um, but obviously Panto is a Christmas entertainment. So when I was approaching people and saying, I'm a Panto dame who does storytelling, they'd be like, well, why are you doing this in June? Surely this is like a December activity. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is part of the Petite Panto's thing is that Panto can exist, exists beyond Christmas. Because mm -hmm. um, it's got a message and it's got a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so I started to approach it as saying I was a drag queen. So, which I'm not. And I don't class myself as a drag queen in the slightest. Um, and so I, I was emailing people and saying, like, put in their head a drag queen story time. To stop you on yes. second. For somebody who doesn't know, what can you can you because you've been you've done one for a mm. big chunk of your life. What how would you define the difference to somebody in the US perhaps who has never seen a pantomime? Uh -huh. And what's what is the big difference between dame and drag? It's a really fine line, mm. and it is actually quite hard to describe. But to me. Part of the character of Pantomime Dame is that you know it's a man. You have to know it's a man. Otherwise a lot of the gags don't work. Um, and they, as a Pantomime Dame, I'm not interested in looking like a woman. Um, I look more clowny as a dame. Um, and in fact, I'd like to get to a point. Um, I remember reading an interview with Jack Tripp, who was a phenomenal dame in Yes Country. And he said he, he wore the bare minimum of makeup, and that's eventually where I'd get like to get to. Of course, his face was quite craggy, and I'm still quite youthful as a human, so you know we still need the makeup to get that character <laughs> yes, across. Exactly. Exactly. Um, whereas a drag queen is an illusion. She wants you to believe that she's a woman, and if you think she's a man for a moment, then the illusion is broken. Um, and they're often, uh, and they, it's, the jokes aren't about them being a man. The jokes are, they'll do stand-up comedy. Um, there are, of course, some, Bianca Del Rio is virtually a pantomime dame, if she wasn't so offensive in her material. Clown. Yeah, like her, her, her she, she's not afraid to mention that she's a man. And, you know, there are more drag queens now that do play with that gender. Um, the gender stereotype yeah and the beard, bearded drag queens and yeah and absolutely but for me uh, pantomime dame you, the children need to know she's a man as well and that's why she was the right character for Mama G because 
in the monks telling stories about being who you are and loving who you want, I want children to look at me and go, is that a man or is that a woman? And then I want them to go, it doesn't matter, I had a great time, mm-hmm. because that is the nub of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, yeah no, I think that's, that's very, yes, well put. Oh, phew, thank you. No, 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 because it's a difficult question, because people have asked me before, kind of, the cuff, and I'm like, well, it is just different because... But it is, you're right, it's, it's the, it's the making it aware, making the audience aware that it's a bloke. Yeah. Um, and however feminine it might go, but it has something that always sends it back out to, sends the message back. But no, this is, and, and also, as you say, a child watching it, they probably they don't have the same preconceptions about sexuality and gender anyway. Absolutely. So if it's a funny person, it's a funny person. Yeah. And maybe they'll be slightly aware because it's not mum. But or, or maybe it's more like gran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, with a with a panto dame, the key thing is that she has to she's her character has to be believable so she has to serve the story yeah so what my my key thing is whether the child thinks i'm a man or thinks i'm a woman when i'm playing with a twanky or mother goose or sarah the cook i want that child to know that if they're in the playground and they tripped over and hurt themselves they could come to me and i could help them do you know what i mean like yes. I, i'm yes. the and the, the caring yes. figure like if they were upset about something yeah this is a character that they could come to and yeah. get support and be comforted by because uh, uh, quite a lot of the time warmed, in, yeah a warm a warm character because quite a lot in pantomime um, the dame is the mother figure and she has to be believable as the mother figure yeah who's your favourite dame yeah character yeah uh, mother goose right absolutely because she has first of all it's all about it's her it's about her um, and she has the biggest trajectory of a character mm-hmm. she goes from being poor then she becomes fabulously rich and beautiful. So she gets a transformation, which I love. And then she realizes that she doesn't need any of that. Mm-hmm. It's got, um, and there is a, a, a personal reason for it being my favorite as well, I think, because Mother Goose was the pantomime I saw when I was 13 that gave me the full on, I need to do this as a career love for Panto. Uh, but the first time I played Mother Goose, um, which was eight years ago, I think, um, my grandma just turned 80 and she had a big family party and at that party even though she doesn't like pantomime she managed to persuade just about every single member of the family to come and see me in pantomime and afterwards and that was amazing to have all those people there who I don't see very much and then afterwards I asked her if she enjoyed it and she said yes it's a very moral pantomime that one isn't it and I thought it is actually and if that works for my grand then that definitely works for me <laughs> that's a nice. See, but that's the other thing. It's also, it goes back to the thing about family. The thing about drag is not necessarily, even though now people are saying it can be from family as well, but it's, I think it's a very, historically, it's a very different audience. Yes. Maybe the two worlds are, as you say, two worlds are getting a little bit, lines across the line. I think you said earlier, a drag queen's one end of the day, Panther Dave's really good. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. To try and do both of those jobs. Well, it'll destroy you. You'd kill yourself. Absolutely. Um, so, yes, there's a, the, some of the places you've just come back from Vancouver. Yes. And that was, you were performing in Vancouver, which is incredible. You've taken Mamaji to the world. Right? Well, 
I'm trying because yeah. I've got I've got a real thing about going places with work because I like to see new places, but I do like it people pay for me to Take go there. Me, really. Yeah. Now, um, full disclosure: Vancouver was a holiday, so uh, you know, I paid myself. Um, actually, my parents paid. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> <Max> parents. <laughs> um, but we've got family over on Vancouver Island, right? And we were going out to see them, and it's always been a dream of mine to do a performance in Canada because Canada actually has a history of panto because Lionel Blair would you believe it used to take his Christmas panto out to Toronto see I didn't know uh, oh yeah Um, and in places like Toronto and Vancouver panto exists like it's done by Canadians why do we not know that yeah Right. Um, it's probably very different to what we do. Mm, sure. Um, and I may not enjoy it, but it, it exists. So I've always had this thing about doing panto in Canada. And I was looking for ways of doing it, yeah. thinking about taking out some of my friends so we could put on a show. And it's getting a bit complicated. Mm, and expensive. And, and expensive. And then when I hit on this Mama G idea, she just goes in a suitcase. Actually, she was on the carry-on. Because I didn't, uh, I didn't care if I lost my, my hold luggage, but I was not losing Mama G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I emailed theatres, bookshops, libraries um, in Vancouver and Vancouver Island, just saying I'm a British performer, I've got this show that I do, I'm going to be here then, could I do it? And so a place in Victoria, theatre, worked really hard to try and get me to their dates to work around me, but they couldn't. And then they recommended um, this company called Elevate in a town called Cumberland, which is about halfway up Vancouver Island. And they said, actually, we think they'd really like you mm-hmm. so I emailed them and within minutes they'd replied saying we love this um, we think this will work wow. so I went up to Cumberland which is an old mining community oh my goodness. Um, which when I found that out actually terrified me mm. because I was Whoa. like if I went to a mining community here and got up and did this I, I might be run out of the town mm-hmm. and, but when I got there it's it's got this long high street and it's got a mountain at the end and it's got boutiques everywhere and we went into the Masonic Lodge which is where I was performing right. and Obviously. they were getting ready for a party that night and I, just, I was like I've got a really good vibe about this and the next day we had about 40 or 50 people turn up families paying buying tickets to come and see it and the most touching thing was that uh, there were local elections on at the time and one of their local politicians took time out of her canvassing to come and see the show because it was dealing with stuff that she was personally really interested in and she wanted to speak to me afterwards and that was really nice and um, so there I did Mama G's Storytime Roadshow which is a show that I'm touring next year in this country so I went to Canada to do a workshop, basically. Try it out. Yeah, to try some new material. Try some new material. So where, uh, so where, where can, you, can you reveal where you're going to be? Yeah, playing? I can. Um, not every word's confirmed yet, but for February half term, it's going to be at the Woodville in Gravesend, uh-huh. uh, the Seagull Theatre in Lowestoft, okay. the Camberley Theatre, and the Curve in Slough. Uh, and there are some others in the pipeline, hopefully. Amazing. But all the, again, all the information will be on our website and our it's social media. all there. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's just an ever-growing concern. Absolutely. But the, the experience in Canada was amazing because it made me feel really, again, oh God, I sound so needy, but I sounded so validated. No. Let's be honest. Anyone who's a performer. Absolutely. It's in there. 
even if it's not at the top of the priority list, it's in there. Absolutely. Unavoidable. Um, the other thing to say is, well, so let's talk about your heroes. Oh. And I don't mean, we, we can say family heroes, but really people outside of the people in the public eye or performance or panto who who have been who's who's influenced you the most from all of your life across the board how exciting yeah i know you get to talk about things you like Um, my absolute hero in this is a professional aspect is roy hud uh-huh, yes. Um, who's the Google him. Yes, please Google him. Who's the man that um, was in the pantomime with Jack Tripp? Mother Goose that made my dad cry with laughter. And he was very specifically... Jack Tripp is amazing, but he was very specifically in that production, Roy Hunt, who I knew was the one that was making my dad cry with laughter. And I was like, that's it. And any time that I can see Roy Hunt in anything, I will go and see him and I think he's a really versatile performer because he did how old is he now he's probably in his 80s yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he did um, quite famously Dennis Potter play oh um, can't remember it not the um, was on television Singing Detective it might be that Singing Detective but he was in that um, Den- uh, Dennis Potter oh yes I think it was Singing Detective Again, Google it. We, we, we need to Google it. But yeah. This, this was, it was quite a while ago, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was a bit too young to understand what the um, deal with it was. But I know as an adult, being a Dennis Potter play, you, you've got to be like a yeah. proper actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did seasons at the um, open air theatre in Regent's Park. Park. Uh, he's incredible on television. He was in Coronation Street. But his panto work is, is faultless and it's fearless as well mm-hmm. I can remember reading an article probably in the Daily Telegraph because my parents did used to take it um, about him doing panto somewhere and it's time that the Viagra had just come out so it dates it but he had a line about the Viagra Falls and he was in the paper having to defend it and now he wouldn't even think about it but he and because of all his news headline stuff which is a satirical show he did for years mm-hmm. yep. he's not scared to take pops at politicians and current affairs and actually for someone who's considered a safe family comedian he did put himself on the line quite a few times right, yeah. and he was happy to do that in a pantomime context so I find that really exciting yeah, um, and I saw his production at the Wilton Music Hall of Dick Whittington when he brought Panto there and his first time playing Dame and he was just so perfect. My friend Gareth was in there. Hello Gareth. Oh, who did Gareth play? Gareth was... Oh Gareth, who were you? I wish you were here. I can tell you where he's going to be. He's going to be in Panto in Barnstable, which he's directing at the Queen's Theatre and playing Dame this year. And it's his first time doing Dame. But he would have been... He he was... um... Was he the baddie? He was the baddie. Oh, he was, in that case, he was phenomenal. I mean, they were all phenomenal, but he was, yes. he was very good. He was the baddie. And I think he did the baddie the following year as well, yes. didn't he? he? He's fantastic. Oh, he's, yes. Um, the we class, need to get him on here as well. Anyway, yes. Must. Uh, I also saw him in Bad Girls at the Union uh-huh. Theatre, which is one of my yes. favourite musicals that I don't often talk about. So that's, oh, right, okay. So we'll, we'll, I'll, we'll, 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 we'll swap numbers with you and Gareth later on Facebook. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I met Roy Hudd after that. Yes. And I was just so amazed. I actually cried. He said good things about it. Because okay, yeah. he was, that was so amazing to meet someone that's had a genuine influence on your career. Um, Jack Chip is an influence. Yeah. There is a whole raft of Danes who don't really count as heroes, but are influences. Yeah. John Inman very much John so. John Inman. 
Um, a guy called Douglas Mounts, who was also in that production of Mother Goose. Uh, he okay. played one of the Brokers men. And I saw him play Dame a few times in Western Superman. He was such a lovely Dame. Uh-huh. And he was very, very kind to me in the early stages of my career, just from stuff he'd read on the internet yeah. that I'd been blogging. And he just sent me loads of really supportive emails and things and gave me lots of advice. Um, and one of my other heroes, yes. who is a story that I read, if I read a published book, I read always read this story, is Rosa Parks. Ah, interesting. Who's come to back into the public arena on the BBC. Yes, yes. Doctor, Doctor Who. Who, which I haven't watched it yet because I'm actually not a Doctor Who fan. Right. Please don't hate. Um, yes, sorry. There's a few. Everyone turns off. <laughs> um, but I will watch it because I think Rosa Parks is an incredible person. Oh, her story's incredible and the work she did is incredible. I, I've been quite vocal about it on Twitter and I have since learned that there were people that did the same thing before her. Um, I've forgotten the name of one um, and I'm, I'm really interested to, to look into all of that because the civil rights era really, really fascinates me um, because I'm genuinely gobsmacked uh-huh. that that happened during my parents' lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. my parents are like, a really reasonable age like they're not that old mm-hmm. and I, it literally makes me feel sick to my stomach which is one of the reasons um, I make sure Mama G's not just about gay stuff because this whole oh, was it this year we had the Windrush situation yes I mean that was happening at the time Mama G was percolating and that I wanted to be sick uh-huh. at the thought of what was happening to all of those people Completely. and the injustice that A they experienced coming over here in the first place or their their parents experience yeah. and now the injustice that we were serving on them in 2018 mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what to do that literally it left me numb I felt the blood leave my body when I read about no, that story absolutely. I think it's great that through storytelling to to a younger audience that you're able to to talk about stuff that you give a shit about but also yeah. the you know that is re- this like you said that completely relevant yeah that the, the, they maybe will go and ask a few questions there's obviously things you don't want children to be bombarded with all the stuff we are as adults mm-hmm. but to have a little bit of it introduced through that medium it's quite a clever idea yeah and I'm not um, they're quite subtle stories yeah, sure. they're not sledgehammers no of course not um, and I don't think there's any harm in children hearing yeah. it's all right to to like someone who's a different colour oh, to you. Um, and I did a festival in Dulwich called the Wild Child Festival, which is a lovely experience. And I was reading a story um, about the, my good and bad fairy story. Yeah. And there's this woman, probably like in her mid-thirties, watching me. I couldn't see any children with her. And she looked really distressed and confused. And I was like, okay, after this, I'm going to have an issue. She's obviously come from somewhere and she's not happy about this and afterwards she came up to me and I said are you okay and she went oh, yeah I love that story and I went oh god because I thought I thought I was going to get some hate from you yeah, yeah. and she went no I just I've never heard myself be the hero and I was like oh my oh, god God, wow and she was just thinking about that and I, then I got to thinking I've never heard myself be the hero mm-hmm. people sometimes a concern that I might be indoctrinating children into growing up and loving the same sex but as a child I only heard stories about 
girls loving boys and it didn't indoctrinate me so yeah, yeah. I think we're probably fine I think, you can, yeah, <laughs> I think it's safe to say it's it's you know it's predetermined yeah but, uh, I mean that's that's a whole other podcast absolutely in isn't it um, but yeah um, so anyway because I, I have to literally go into the world at some point too but anybody anybody around in in um, the in media in music in cinema, film, theatre—that's that, that is a, a of a younger age mm. that the kids will be down with that you're interested in at the moment. Obviously, oh, I'm sure the drag RuPaul world is of interest to you. Oh God, yeah, I'm obsessed yeah. with RuPaul's oh, Drag Race, yeah. um, and I think that show's done loads of amazing things, mm. actually. Um, Oh, that's a, I, I really like old things, so I love I love for old sitcoms and things. I think out of RuPaul's Drag Race, I'm I'm not a, like a manic fan of anybody in particular, but I do love Michelle Visage mm, mm-hmm. because I think she actually does more for like the LGBT community from that program than a lot of the queens themselves from that mm. program do because she's very vocal about her oh, support. Yeah. And also, like, her story actually is, is quite incredible. The fact that she can... She's had an amazing life, and then to be a sidekick to somebody and, and actually make her, her opinions quite important and really valid, and now she's in the West End. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really big on Michelle Visage. Um, and I even... Do you know what? When RuPaul's Drag Race started and she became a judge on it, I liked her so much that five or six years ago, I was saying to my producer I was working for at the time, I was like you need to try and book Michelle Visage for pantomime. It's like, nobody will know who she is. And I was like, I swear to God, but you will get an audience because the people that watch that programme, it used to be quite culty and I don't even think it is anymore. No, it's not. But like Doctor Who fans will go and see Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, at that time, RuPaul Drag Race fans would have travelled to come and see Michelle Visage and she would be so good in pantomime. Well, I think you're, the thing you're saying about some people pantomime being the first experience of theatre, I think there will be some younger people who will experience everybody's talking about Jamie as their first ever theatre piece. I hope Possibly so. Because of her. I think that will happen. That's I think that amazing. probably is happening. And I think that's just incredible. Yeah, it's, it's a brilliant thing. To, um, yeah, and that I will be experiencing it for the second time, I hope, because of Michelle Yes, well, I'm, I have booked tickets to see it for that very reason yeah. for the second time. I, I can't wait to see so, it. So, yeah. And then Leighton Williams is taking over as Jamie, yes. which means I'm going to have to go and see it for a third time. Yes. Because uh, a sitcom that I really like, and I'm sure you must have watched it, was Beautiful People. Yes. Uh-huh. And I thought he was mm-hmm. a revelation. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's a great um, theatre performer as well. And that's yeah. where I found Olivia Colman. And you know, it really bugs oh. me when people say, oh, Olivia Colman from this or that. And I'm like, Olivia Colman from Beautiful People, thank you. Uh-huh. I had to first. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, I don't know who else I admire. I... I I admire really basic things. I'm going to get, like, I admire my friends. I've got friends that work in the LGBT world, well, that's... particularly one called Josh. Um, he used to run a magazine, but he's just a crusader, mm-hmm. and he's way younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And he does amazing things, and his attitude is amazing, and I find that really inspiring. Mm-hmm. He actually, without knowing it, he was about to find out, but he really... Buoyed me up and made me believe that actually this stuff that I felt I needed to say was worth people hearing because he has obviously never felt that no one should hear what he wants to say. 
which um, thank you, Josh. Amazing, yeah. Thanks, Josh Fletcher, <laughs> uh, and also shout out to James. He's the reason I know Josh. Um, I I don't know if we're running out of time or not, but go I've on. got a really nice quote to end go on, with, go right? On, please. And then we can carry on, but I just oh, want to yes, make sure I say yes. it right. So I don't know. I listened to this podcast, a podcast called Behind the Curtain, uh-huh. which is about Broadway, uh-huh. and they were interviewing someone on Monday. Uh, and she said, she does lots of activism stuff, and she said, if you think you have something, if you have something you want to say, then people need to hear it. And say it again, say it again. If you have something you want to say, then people need to hear it. Yeah. And, and I heard that and I was like, that's literally why you should do theater, and that's definitely why oh, yeah, I no, do. that's brilliant. I do Mama G now yeah. and what I want to do in my pantos and stuff. And more power to you and Thank doing you. your own thing and standing up and being one of us who is doing our own thing. Yeah, in the world. that's valuable. Not relying on anyone else apart from you. So yeah. congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate this. that. And before we disappear, yes. um, where can people find you on social media as well? Ah, oh, the social media art. Yeah. Um, I've got all sorts. Um, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, you can find at Petite Pantos which is my company, and that's where all the Mama G shenanigans go down. Yeah. Uh, and then my personal social media is Robert P underscore actor on Twitter and Instagram, and then I think Robert P is actor on Facebook. Okay, but there's, a really few, there's, there's a lot there. People can go and do that. Yeah, While they're absolutely. Well, go back and listen to the highlights and, uh, and find <laughs> him. But anyway, Robert, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Much. Thank you for having me. It's and been a delight. We'll, 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 we'll talk again very soon. Absolutely. Probably All right. when this is turned off. When this is turned off. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So, ladies and gents, that was Mr. Robert Pierce. Go and follow him on Twitter. Go and look at Petite Pantos on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, and, and go and friend him and, and follow his shenanigans as they grow. What a pleasure. Anyway, I'll see you very soon. Thanks for joining. Spread the word. Bye.